ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Mind Refinery podcast, made by us, the Mind Refinery, creators of content, aggregators of popular culture, and the place where creatives go to thrive. I'm your host, Kyle Bodanis. This week, we're going to look at Sam Mendes' latest epic flick, 1917. This podcast will contain spoilers, so if you haven't seen it, and you absolutely should see it, you've been warned. Next week on the podcast will be the first episode in a reoccurring series of shows examining our favorite movies of the 2010s. Each member of the Mind Refinery podcast team will explore their favorite film of the past decade and we'll do a podcast for each one where we'll explore our thoughts on the flick, how it shaped its cinematic decade, and its current relevance. Next week, we're starting with my favorite film of the 2010s, The Social Network. And if you're not already subscribing to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, please do so. And if you dig it, feel free to give us your finest reviews. And now, without further ado, here's the show. Okay, guys, here to discuss Sam Mendes' movie, 1917, we have Mind Refinery creatives Andrew Van Eek. Hello. John Neal. What's going on? And Andrew Lanza. How's it going? So before we get started, guys, obviously we lost Neil Pert so from Rush, and uh, we're going to dedicate this episode to him. And then uh, at the end of it, we're going to have a little talk about just what his music meant to us and uh, just, you know, his work in general. So guys, let's get right into this. I went to see this movie with Andrew Lanza, and uh, the anticipation was so high that we actually forgot our pre-film libations. Um, <laughs> That's actually 100% It's 100% true. correct. We're too excited. We're like, we didn't smoke. Oh. And then we just dealt with it. Is there a word in Klingon for loneliness? Anukta. Um <laughs> This movie, I mean, at the end of it, all I could hear was Andrew Lance's sobbing. And then I realized that I could also hear my own sobbing. I had the uh, sniffles. It was, it was my bronchitis. Uh, this movie that, was, Okay, can, the, the, everybody was coughing in that movie. Everyone was coughing in the movie. But we gotta, we gotta, we'll talk about the experience in a minute. Um, what I want to do, guys, is I want to get... Let's get right into it. Let's talk about our first reactions. I personally... I, my jaw was on the floor. It was fantastic. I, I just love this movie. What do you think, Andrew Van Eek? I liked it a lot, and it's growing and counting. I really want to see it again. I was hoping to get a second viewing prior to the podcast, but it's like, it's, yeah, it's an experience. Yeah. And I think uh, just first thoughts, I've just never seen a war story. It's the anti-apocalypse now. Because it's this like journey film, but instead of taking this epic amount of time, it's fast and it's like in direct. real time. It's almost in real time. It's direct. Like yeah. it just you feel like yeah. you're not you're not. It's not one minute of screen time is like two weeks in film time. It's, it's both and both just like actually literally, but also just how the movie flows. That's interesting to note with the Apocalypse Now thing because a movie like Apocalypse Now spends a lot of time in its thematic elements, which is its strength. But this one, it's like, it's the ticking clock starts right away. John Neal. Uh, it's incredible. There's not much to say, honestly. It's just, it's it's awesome. It's uh, Sam Mendes' best movie probably since Road to Perdition. We're going to get, and, we're, and you know what? That. We're going to get into uh, if it's peak Mendes. But Lance, you were a mess at the end of this movie. I, I was blown away. I was jazzed. Yeah. Uh, after, after that movie, I was... Uh, Super excited! I thought it, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Like like I couldn't agree more. I want I got to see it again before it leaves theaters. Yeah, me too. It's uh, it, and it was at, at seeing it at theaters too was definitely definitely a good experience. So much fun. Yeah, heavy Pack, recommendation yeah. to uh, experience that movie the way you know it was meant to be seen for sure. Yeah, big, it was big as screen as you can with the best audio you probably can. Audio, it's yeah, good. 
So, John, you mentioned, okay, so this whole thing was based on stories that John, uh, so John, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam Mendez's uh, grandfather told him and uh, he wanted to you know put it together and do this story this was a huge passion project for him I'm going to ask this you know very bluntly is this movie peak Mendez I don't know maybe might be I mean the, the whole kind of uh, one take is definitely not like you know that's new for Mendez doing, doing it the, the whole kind of like almost the illusion of the entire movie in one take Yes, the whole and you know what? It's funny because he said, and this was like that was a big debate that they that him and Roger Deakins had prior cinematographer Roger Deakins had prior to starting it. He came up with a, came up and was like, "Listen, I want to do this thing in one take." They had done it for the opening scene of Spectre, mm -hmm. and they had actually mentioned a lot that Spectre and Skyfall, like like they couldn't have done this movie without it, and it really influenced kind of what they were doing. And they were kind of worried. And Roger Deakins' initial concern was that like, is that going to be you know, a gimmick, this idea of it being one take. And then Sam Mendes was very much like, no, it's for the story, uh, it's necessary. And then when they started getting into it, they obviously saw that, you know, especially if you're doing something like the First World War, that's a very, it's, its scope is very big. You know, you have death on an unimaginable level, massive conflict, and then, but you needed to suck it into these two people trying to accomplish this one mission. And mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of goes to some of the thematic elements, this idea of, individual people you know making a difference in this massive conflict and i thought I, I mean i really thought that shooting style really worked for it like i, I wasn't this is i don't know well like let's say that it wasn't shot in first person if it was just shot like a regular sort of movie there's nothing new about it really right like it changes I, th yes. it changes yeah. the whole way that you experience these two guys and what they're going through right like if it was just shot by shot I just I disagree. It I think it could have worked then if it was done in it, it could it sense. would have been probably a good movie, but the effect that it had so you're is just picking up the effect. Yeah, like that's I a think, huge I selling story, point of the I movie. I think the, the the story, the sound, the acting, everything yeah. still would have held up 100%. It would have, I think, I'm not I saying it would have lost I think it would have lost tension. That's the big thing. Yeah. It would have lost tension. I I think that was the, that, it was the right way to yeah, go, yeah. but I'm just saying each one of those individually would have held up on their own, I think. Yeah, they would have, yeah. but it wouldn't have had the same effect. But I feel like I feel like with I feel like when you because the one thing I think the strongest element of it was the fact that this movie goes right into it, and immediately you're oh, one that kicks right off. It's like they're in it. They're they're boom. sitting down. Boom! We need this guy. We I need Tom and we need Tom and Baratheon over here <laughs> to, uh, and we'll get into the actors. Tommen was pretty Tommen. Yeah, Tommen was pretty Tommen, and he ends in a very Tommen way. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I, you know, and the idea is it ratchets up tension. And we were talking earlier about Dunkirk. And I, one way, one thing that's great about Dunkirk is the amount of tension it exerts onto you at all times. It's a different ticking clock and a different kind of tension because it's done through the cutting. So that you're always either ramping up to something happening or it's always happening, right? Whereas this one ramps it up through perspective and through all of these things happening and these guys got to try to snake their way into this through this massive conflict. Also, what I like about it too is it narrows the trenches. It really like visually narrows them down and then keeps you in them. Like, I guess I think the thing that I think wouldn't fit into it, because I can kind of see what you're saying is that there's such strengths in some of the other tertiary, not tertiary, but like, uh, what am I doing? Am I shifting? I'm just going close to the mic. Sorry, guys. I yeah. wasn't talking to the mic. Um, it's one thing that, uh, just moving my mic a little closer. Uh, I think that, you know, it really brings home that tension through, you know, the visual, 
you know, the visual side, you know, through the thing, and it narrows down the trenches, and I think you can get you couldn't it wouldn't be as good and as tense and as compressed if all of a sudden you were going to sprawling vistas and like massive set pieces like over it and over made again. it personal so that's yeah, well, yeah. so circling back and the choice to do the one cut and then because you're doing the one cut the natural uh steady camera dolly shots all the tracking shots everything like that that is just the tr that made the trenches so much better because you are snaking through, but the camera is literally also snaking through. And like the amount that that added to the story was just huge. Yeah, it like, made them so claustrophobic. And that yeah, first yeah, time, so claustrophobic. That first, you're you're in it with them the whole what you know first ten minutes of the movie, and then going over the top with them. Yeah, you're cool. going over the and top how, with them. And how crazy was that? Where you start in this behind the lines by. What what would it have felt like a hundred meters or something like that or yeah. two hundred meters and it's all chill and dude smoking and like you know this this thing and then it just gets grosser and shittier and shittier and within like ten minutes of the film you're busting over that wall and you're in the the, in the just one of the shit. worst times you could be at in human history you, if you were just plopped somewhere yeah and you you get a sense of also like these guys are smoking but if they just like stand up a little taller. Yeah, they they're get getting mowed, shot. Like they get shot in the fucking head. <laughs> yeah, right. They're sitting there doing their thing. But if they would, yeah. Like I, th I think Deacon said in an interview that he did that it literally said at the beginning of the script, "This is a one shot." Yeah. Movie. Like it literally made the point of saying that. So. And they had to do a lot of preparation for it. Like his Deacons was like, "Well, why?" Are, at first, he was like, "Why are we doing this?" Because you know he'd seen it before. But then obviously, as he started getting into the story with Sam Mendes and you know and really what is going on, uh, he you know he was like he saw it. But then came the massive amount of preparation for it. Like they yeah. did a lot of preparation for this because they were worried about how long it would take staying on production schedules, you know what I mean? Like, what are the difficulties we're going to go through? Uh, we'll get into some of kind of the innovations, too, that were um, that came about this because there were different camera bodies that were assembled by Ari, all this kind of stuff. But, I mean, let's get back to this idea of Deacons. Uh, sorry, not Deacons, uh, uh, Sam Mendes. What is this, where does this stand amongst, you know, amidst his films? Like, is this, you know, is this his best work? I really want to see it again. To take to, to to kind of take it in again, it's it's up there. What's this, what's the competition? American Beauty, I'd say it'd still probably be. I, th I think it's better than American Beauty. I definitely a good argument for it. I think this is a uh, Road to Perdition. I'd is say still Road, yeah. my favorite Sam Mendes movie. Um, I'd say Road to Perdition would be the only one that would, in my mind, yeah. Uh, yeah. I really I love, I love you, you got me John got me onto Road, Road to Perdition I've never favorite seen one. that movie until you in uh, in school you know what that's true because you I lent me the DVD because oh, I uh, originally <laughs> my grandfather was like I saw it and he's like good action and I'm like uh oh <laughs> it's gonna be like hard target <laughs> it's gonna be like hard target Jean-Claude Van Damme it's another Die Hard it's okay. Die Hard 7 uh, but then uh, you know I watched it it was incredible uh, Paul Newman yeah Paul Newman R.I.P. pour one out yeah. for my homie the Rock, thing I Paul like Newman. about it the most is Tom Hanks plays a character he never it's out, ever he's plays. out of his comfort yeah, zone yeah. so yeah, really I, I don't know like that kind of like I, like I love that movie so but this is probably his best as far as just the from a beginning to end like it's a jaw dropping movie because right? it adds I, the ambition. Like there, well, there's, there's, it's a really the whole, it's super ambitious. So going back to the whole one shot thing, that's his also decision to do it. But what I like about it is is we've never really seen it like that in a war movie before, and I think that's where to me like it adds to the genre by by doing that. So he's added like his own sort of take on it, mm -hmm. and it's a standalone take. 
and 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 I and I really like that about it. That's a good point. Yeah. Um. What one thing that I did really actually I thought the uh, the pacing was absolutely spot on. It was great. Yeah. Um. Because you as you were saying you know you started off and you're just in the shit like right away and they ratchet up that tension like all the way through but then they give you those nice little moments where you were in the town in the basement with the 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 woman and her adopted child at that point and you just had these like nice moments where it was just like this like like you could breathe where you having to have fresh milk we're not getting exactly a, i'm not you're not getting away with that for me that one was a hard that there was a couple moments that dude you'll I, take I it man and then more like more t- like that's, that's yeah milk, milk, man. That's because like, the cow was that the fresh milk and then the baby needed the fresh milk honestly i'm fine with it i'm, I'm fine not, with it i'm not i'm unfine with that why don't you <laughs> why do you why don't you want babies to get their milk why do you I hate want, milk i want i love milk and are you telling me that you want the babies, babies with to ice get milk in a more natural way yes okay that's yep. fair enough I don't know. I, I thought it was a nice connection. I didn't. I'm not. That, did to it, me, that did, did that didn't even it? stand out to me. See, in, okay, for a there, there was a couple. I don't know if it's a time in the podcast to talk about those things. Or is that later? What are we? What are you trying to bring w- about up? About things that we didn't like. We will get to it. Okay. We will get to I'll it. Hold Actually, off on that. So that's and then you know, for me, you know, American Beauty is really at his like thematic best, working with the actors. I think like if you were to say him as an actor director what is the what is his peak i would say it's american beauty i've seen it's american beauty when you're talking about visually his best i think it's skyfall i think he elevates a james bond movie to i think he just kind of realized that you know dudes like chris nolan and stuff are kind of taking this idea of taking something that's supposed to be almost kitschy but then you know adding real ideas to it and adding you know real grit and uh, intensity and I think he does that well I think Skyfall visually is the best leading up to this because this movie seems like a natural progression visually from Skyfall yeah because there's and and, you know this actually kind of segues really well into the Roger Deakins conversation about what we think Peak Deakins is is this Peak Deakins which is really hard to uh, kind of deduce from there because there's so many fantastic you know offerings and I like I don't know like in terms of the visuals like how do you think this ranks among other Deakins works John Um, I mean I don't think it's Peak Deacons. I thought I already saw Peak Deacons with Blade Runner. Oh. Blade Runner. That oh. was to me. That was like okay. That's Peak Deacons. And but, you know what's funny? But, but no, I would say the, Peak Deacons is uh, Assassination of Jesse James. To me, that's like quintessential Deacons. Oh yeah, sure. And uh, you could. There's a lot of things in this movie. I mean, Peak maybe is the wrong word. That's like saying. Yeah, I mean, dude's, peak, dude's how old is he? He's like seventy years old. Yeah, he hasn't peaked yet. The only like, thing I, I yeah, no, I mean, no, he's edging. But I'm. Um, but no, the, he's, he's edging. <laughs> he's edging. As long as his as long as his mind stays intact, he'll be he'll he'll, he'll be fine. Well, he'll I mean, continue to push the the envelope. Yeah, right? I think God we, love him. Well, yeah. obviously, Roger Deakins is a genius. I mean, the probably only issue my thing with, like, I think the, I think I have problems separating, the rest of the movie from the train robbering scene in the assassin, assassination of Jesse James. So I like it's like the movie. I can't watch that movie again. But I'll watch that train robbery over and over oh, and well, I've over. I've seen that movie multiple times. I see. For me, the rest of it is dry. But that, like, this guy puts a six K on just a moving platform, <laughs> and that's how he's shooting the train. And then you're just like, of course, that's how he's shooting the train. It's like it's so. It is absolute, you know, absolute genius. And you know, I, him not winning an Oscar for that obviously was just an, another example of how the Oscars are completely ridiculous. Well, I mean, didn't it go to um, Elswit for uh, There Will Be Blood? 
No, I'm still giving it. I yes. I'm I'm just saying. I don't yes. even remember what year it was. No, no, I, you're 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 right. I'm just saying I can understand that He's one. He's good, but I'm giving it to. <laughs> but there will be blood, though. I don't know. That's all I'm saying. I know. It's so good. But I agree. I agree. The Oscars are bullshit. But in that one respect. But if it had gone to him, would you? Like, would you have been that is a robbery? No, absolutely not. Okay. Of course that's, not. That's, it's that's, fucking I, Deacons. No, no, because I think what, what happens is when you're working with skill at that level, it's like a, it's like a jump ball. You know what I mean? Like it could. Yeah. It could go, you know, it could go either way. But you know what kind of reminded me a little bit about that sequence with 1917 and just the way the shadows move is when he's running through the town and it's all lit oh, by with flares. the flares. When I saw that, that see, insane. that was the moment in the movie where I was like, okay, this is like, this is amazing. Fucking. With, with, like but that's like every movie it. that he does. What What was the motivated light? Like, where was the light source in that scene? So, so, and then I was, st- I, I, it actually kind of took me out for one second because I was like, what am I seeing? Like, where's this? They use light? real flares. Am I wrong? Then, they did. No, okay, that's, that's what I thought. We're that's talking thought. in the town. No, but yeah. then it comes to the church. There's like this like low oh. hum light, and I'm like, that's a little bit looks like a lit set for like two seconds, and then they come around the corner, and there's this like building on fire. It was like, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. When he comes wow. around the corner, yeah. then, then there's the enemy soldier, and he just looks at him, and then he waves and he's so stunned and I'm like I'm like what are good. you doing awesome. but this is kind of what I like but he was all messed up because you gotta I know, remember I know, he I just know. got knocked out I know, right? I know, and I, know, I appreciated I some of those inputs was of real. realism there this is real. kind of why I think it is an ar- there is an argument for peak deacons here only because it's like culmination all the, exactly all totally. the things that were used on other like deacons and tunics and Sam even Sam Mendes for that matter projects like they came into this so you're getting the idea of the flares lighting in all that you get that that kind of lighting in assass- yeah assassination Gorgeous. you're getting like when they had that fight with the soldier like with it silhouetted that's like when he was fighting the sniper in Skyfall yeah, yeah, the yeah. one taking aspect they directly referenced the opening scene inspector uh, which has an aw- awesome like oneer um, to open it and it's like all of these things kind of come together and you know it, it, it's all it's like he took everything and really like kind of tossed it together and uh, and like just the level of innovation because like Deacons is a is a crazy you know on, on the engineering side as well like they were developing their own uh, like gimbals and stuff for the camera they were like Ari had to physically create different cam- like custom camera bodies just so it could fit into some of you know the small what spaces. a flex. Yeah, like what an it, absolute flex! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Ari, can you do? Can, can you can you do me a solid? Just invent shit. Well, and this is why I like that approach to it. But whether like James Cameron, James Cameron, it's like you're never working on the film. It's like I just spent 15 years trying to make this technology, and, and now I'm like, gonna like yeah. just like put a thing together. And now we're gonna release it upon an unsuspecting world. Yeah, but yeah. it's suspecting because we've been anticipating it for fucking 15 years. But like with Deacons, it's like <laughs> let's make some films. Let's get this practicality. Aries like yo, let's do it. Ari, when James Cameron comes up to you. a guy, he's like, hey, let's do this. So like, okay, that's not even gonna be ready for 14 years anyways. And I love that. Um, you know, I love that there is that level of understanding, like, and changing the like the physical you know boundaries of the equipment itself, like to to really yeah, get in there. The uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was um, the the production designer on this movie is Dennis Gassner. Dennis Gassner is from he, he's a Canadian by the way, but he also did Blade Runner with with Deacons, and they oh, um, fantastic. the sets in this movie were incredible. They, and 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 the um, I don't know if you guys saw any of the behind the scenes stuff they did with the models. On this stuff for 1917 yes, or for, for 1917. No, no, so they built all the like, so once they kind of mapped out how they were going to shoot it, and then they built the sets after that, so they could match exactly what they were going to do. They built everything in models, and they oh, and they, they actually played it out. 
cool. But the cool thing, with the collaboration anyway, between Deacons and, and Gassner was kind of cool when they did the, the, the flare scene is they actually built that set on a model scale and lit it with like lights on wires that went like over top so they could actually see. Where, where'd you see this? Is it on like, Look YouTube? Look it up on YouTube, yeah. Sick. I don't know what I'm doing tonight. Like that's, when that's you just explained that, I felt the same way Forrest Gump did when he saw Lieutenant Stan's legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Magic legs. I'm like, magic set. <laughs> magic set. Anyway, that's, like, that, like, set. that's amazing, though. Like, that is like, incredible. Just, just that's that so dope. Well, it's a level incredible. of detail that, that is just, it's under, and you yeah. know what is also good, like when they're walking, when he's walking and the whole town, you know, is on, you know, is on fire in the background, uh, you know, that's coming from, you know, the Blade Runner thing where everything is, you know, orange. Yeah, yeah, orange and like misty from like either sand, you know, whatever. And it was just so well done. And, you know, I think, yeah, you know, it, it's a culmination of, you know, of all his work. Um, I hope he, well, I can't see him not getting nominated for this. He also did Skyfall and Road to Perdition, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 we did oh, Skyfall. Oh, we did Skyfall. I did thought you said I thought you meant Deacons. I'm like, no, no, to, no, yeah. No, sorry, yeah. <laughs> to, to loop those two things in, though, so I think why if Ooh, you were going to say in. that it was Deacons' um, best work, it's it's completely related to the production design. The strongest part of this film is I've just never had a film, seen a film that makes you feel like you're trapped in the place. So, so so like besides like a claustrophobic like one room type of movie like this is like you are stuck everywhere you are there you feel like completely trapped in even, every way even in when every you're way. like in an open field leaning against a tree you still somehow feel trapped and that's like because both it of funnels them you together this is another reason why the way they did it was good like with the first person um you know one cut you know no cut situation is that um it kind of really really funnels you to where you need to go like there you do not feel like there's tons of options here it's right? just like the story right like it's just super yeah. direct it's laser focused it's like um mad max fury road or like the raid it's just like we need to get this message here go like yeah. you have till tomorrow well it's form equals content and it class i love that right it is exa- they're like what is the setup visually and you know artistically that we have to do in order to convey this that's why when he said trust everything me, supports story, it yeah exactly you know what i mean because something like that can can totally even if it is roger deakins if something like that is applied to the wrong story it is absolutely a gimmick yeah, it's absolutely it's yeah then then it's it's like it's exact yeah it's a gimmick i couldn't have said it better perfect but, but yeah, shout out to the camera team on this. On this, oh it my was, God. There, there was some shots in his team that are just they must have worked like oh, yeah. dogs. Did you, there's that one shot when it's going oh, over man. the water. Mm-hmm. Oh, I that know. shot blew my mind. I was like, how? Also, how many times did they take it off the crane and run with it oh, yeah. simultaneously yeah. and then put it back on a crane? Yeah. And it move again. Lance and I were talking about that after. We're like, because I was, yeah, because we were talking about, okay, remember in True Detective, the big fight scene and how like it follows everything. Yeah. in season one and all through the, it goes through the fight and then it goes over the fence. Like in the making of that's a handoff of a movie. That's one guy walking up steps Mm -hmm. that they built, handing the movie to another guy and then it continuing. And, uh, and this movie, yeah. And and we were, and we were wondering, like we were looking, trying to look for all of the little, you know, what is Did you this? call it? I think you also called it Gateway. That's what I called Gateway. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Why? Sh- shout out to Gateway. If you haven't seen John Neal's <laughs> final student film, uh, he was Jib it's Crazy. It's unlisted on YouTube. It's unlisted on YouTube. Say. I watched he, uh, it recently. There was dollies on cranes. There was guys holding cranes. There was, it was intense. Guys, this was going to be his, like, you know, ultimate. <laughs> 
thing. This is good for be all my, of college. This is going to be my fucking and third encounters. We bro. all had to just, you know, <laughs> we had get, to deal with get it. those yeah. jibs out in the soybean we field. Had to get those jibs out in the soybean field. So fucking get it done. And so one thing I would like to, you know, moving along, one thing I'd like to look at is the performances. We have uh, Dean Charles Chapman, who last time we saw him was jumping out of a window because his mother killed his wife in uh, in Game of Thrones. Looked like he aged like six years since then. Yeah, I feel like they just cut and pasted his baby face onto a slightly larger frame. You got a little yeah. pudgier. That's about. They it. just did. Li- they just did the motion. Ca- they just did motion cap stuff for it. <laughs> like like the Wiggle Boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. had Army yeah. Hammer playing. They had Army <laughs> Hammer playing his body. <laughs> <laughs> The winkle vibe. <laughs> the winkle When he calls him the winkle vibe, that's, yeah, right. that's, that's, that's okay. That's, a, yeah. that's for another time. But I thought he was great, and the guy who played Will, uh, George McKay. I mean, um, Mendez said he wanted to go, you know, with lesser known actors because you know he didn't want any of the baggage coming into of previous actors. What have they done into? The if performance? you had put Tom Hanks in there, it's not the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> we're going like against Private Ryan. We're gonna make a new type of war movie. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be Tom Hanks going through these trenches. Yeah, it would be so weird. And I thought like the guy. I mean, obviously both of them did a really good job. I thought, I thought Dean Charles Chapman was good in Game of Thrones, especially when you know, you know, when he became more prevalent, you know, in the role after Joffrey gets friggin' iced. So I was just gonna say. Um, I did not see his death coming. I thought that was fucking awesome. Okay. Like, I did not. He goes, yes. to, he goes yes. to help the German soldier and uh, like the German pilot and he just gets fucking shanked. Yeah. Like, wow. And I, I did like, not okay. see that coming. And then I'm like, oh, he's going to be fine, though. And then I'm like, no, no. he's not going to be fine. I thought it was OK when he when the other guy cut his hand and like in terms of actors, I thought he was like, going to like lose his hand. He still might because he's he's so like. The the Tommen actor story. What's his name? Dean. It's Dean, Dean Charles, Charles Chapman. Chapman. Dean Charles Chapman. Like, like a he's, he's he's so nice and whatever. He, he killed John Lennon. <laughs> I was Hard maybe David not going to believe <laughs> him getting through it, and I right away started realizing one of these guys isn't making it. Like pretty quick in. And when he so when he cut his hand, I was just like, oh, this is foreshadowing. And this guy's going to get in a body. Oh, oh man. How so good is that? That's so that, oh, that that scene visceral. Visceral. Yeah. He, I feel like he's he's losing that to gangrene pretty quick. Like <laughs> yeah. like yeah. in the next yeah. week, that hand is not doing yeah. too good. The one that touched the body? Yeah. It's gonna yeah. smell like almonds. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like no, it's like <laughs> it smells like you put almonds. your hand in, you put your hand in and then you just pull out like well, it's oh, the bacteria know, uh, that are already yeah. going to feed Spanish on human flu? flesh. Like, it's like the yeah, yeah. right ones. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. normally you have a bit of exactly. a chance of whether or not you'll encounter the bacteria going to give you gangrene. I, I kind of thought, you will I definitely. kind of, he, he went, he like stuck it in. And then there was like a later point where he's like, wow, my hand. And I thought it was going to come back to it. And it never really did. Am I wrong? Well, he wrapped it up a bit later, didn't he? he I, thought, I thought he did something else with it he later. I don't know. This guy was swimming in rivers with bodies and stuff, man. This so guy's got big. Boyan says to be he dis- he disinfected it with whiskey. Disinfected. He did. He did. Yeah, that's what I thought he did. Because like later on, he he does something with okay. it. I think. Anyway, still. It's anyway, still, it doesn't matter. Yeah, he's he's it's. it's I, I don't know why we're micro focusing on his. That, oh no, I don't know. <laughs> you just made a comment because, because it was just such an did, amazing. Because I thought he did. He did a good job with it, right? Like those nonverbal reactions are important. Yeah. Say you're like oh, okay. Oh, you're half t- the movie's nonverbal. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. like they gotta ramp it up. So I think it's pertinent, so, if you will. <laughs> I believe it's it pertinent. Is, it is pertinent. What is that guy's innards like? So- <laughs> 
not good. I think I think yo <laughs> yummy. So where we go with that is that when he died, like his character just getting taken out. The fact that he was like so soft and innocent, and then just died like that. Like that was just a really blunt, effective way. Yeah. And I really thought I did think somebody was gonna die, and I thought it was the other I guy. That was gonna be at the end. And maybe. then I was kind of disappointed because it's like the brother finding the brother, and then instead it's like. Fuck no, it's not that nice. How good would it have been if the brother was Joffrey, though? I wish. If the brother, what's what's the guy, what's the kid's name? Like, ugh, I have no idea. Oh, Jack. Um, I'm happy it was Leeson? Rob. I'm happy, Jack, I'm, it's Jack Leeson. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy it He's, was Rob. I'm happy it was Rob. That, <laughs> yeah, but he keeps getting screwed over, Rob. He does. Rob Stark? We're going to get to the uh, epic amount of British actors but, in uh, this but, movie. But on, on the subject of the, of the cast, I actually liked how they kind of sprinkled in all these other stars just in these small roles. Yeah. Like Benedict, Benedict playing, yeah. uh, the guy at the end, and uh, and even um, Colin Firth. Hold that thought. Wait, hold wait, that. Wait. Hold that who, thought on the epic British actor. Who is the guy? The last one that we're, sends him off over the wall. The guy that's like got all the attitude. Okay, the we're gonna. Cool we are. We are gonna. Guys. We are gonna, gonna get. Fleabag. Yes, we are gonna. Fleabag. We are going to. Hold off on that, guys. Hold off. Hold your horses. I want to talk guys, about. You're not holding horses. I want to talk. Guys, a lot of horses dying in this movie too. Don't they? Or was that War Horse? Yo, let's have a moment of silence for those horses. War Horse was atrocious. Oh, no. It was bad. And then they made a hol- a play about it. And I'm like, how did they do? Who cosplayed that horse? Is that though with Daniel Radcliffe? <laughs> I think it was. He's naked so the whole I want, time. one thing I want before we, before before we get to before we get to the extended Somebody British get, so actors. So we get a hold of Anik. I know he's this guy's out. This is like in class when we used to yeah, have to, used to, have to leave the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so the guy who played Will, George <laughs> McKay, I want to focus in on him too, other than the incomparable Tom Baratheon, because he was, I thought he was incredible. Especially this idea of, you know, like Tom is the more idealistic, we can make a different soldier, and he's the one who's like, screw my medals, I don't care about them, I got rid of them, it's just some tin. And he and plays ribbon. that. And ribbon. It was tin and ribbon. Uh and I thought that he pulled that in so much and then was also like the way his character takes up that mantle when he dies after almost like kind of wanting to leave at the end. It, I thought that performance was fantastic. And asking the brother if he could write to the mom, that got to me. That I mean, that, that whole that whole that whole scene. I mean, this segues well into our uh, I just want to make sure we gave her boy George McKay uh is due, but George like, McKay, yeah, shout out. To, I thought he yeah. was probably the Brilliant. best. I mean, I came, he was he was the focus of the movie, but I he, thought he was by far the best. He was of the, the, ca- movie. the casting on that is was spot on, and again, the idea to go with someone a little lesser known, incredible. I, I think, haven't seen him in anything. I don't think exactly. He, never, he didn't. Seen, he didn't overact a single time either. And there was no. such potential when you're when you're silence, silence, action, like physically acting, and then you've got this epic line to not to to get that right. That's uh, nonverbal that's acting is pros from the you know amateurs like that's those those nonverbal like can you, are you conveying in your face nuanced what's going on yes it's nuances and like you it's not like theater acting man in film acting you have to be like at small. point blank it's range very small theater and very it has big. to be subdued and I thought it was incredible um, huge boost to his career too yeah I, I can't movie. I like honestly Ooh. he's gonna be I for sure he's gonna be picked up to cat yeah. you know that's definitely gonna be a springboard for him for you know other big things. Uh, let's move on, go guys, because we did talk about the incomparable mm-hmm. Richard Madden, aka Rob Stark, um, who defeated Tyrone. Uh, so Stark he... was the brother. Yeah, <laughs> I s- I'm, I'm just I found that out like when you brought it up early and you said like, I'm glad it was Rob. I'm like, was it? It was Rob Stark. It was Rob Stark. Yeah, man. yeah. Remember he beat he beat Jamie Lannister at the Whispering Woods, <laughs> and now he's in World War One. That's what you get for winning. 
Did he got? <laughs> did didn't he get like? Oh no, that was the other one. Never mind. Wait. Oh yeah, he got at the the red wedding. Good Game of Thrones spoilers. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Game of Thrones spoilers. If you haven't seen season fucking four, four? stop watching after six. <laughs> yeah, stop watching after six. It's a whole different thing. Oh my goodness! If we are, if anybody happens to be listening to this podcast and you're gonna watch Game of Thrones, just watch the first six seasons and it'll be the best show. And just imagine what happens after. Yeah. Let imagine or switch back to the books and then get yeah. Let that know, thing where you know where if you see like a partial circle, your brain will auto connect the the rest of it right it's gonna be better it's like that it's gonna be (laughs) whatever whatever sad fan fiction you have in your brain it will be better i've literally written like borderline (laughs) fan fiction in my head that is significantly better than the ending of that movie and most of it is relationships between tom and baratheon and and the the mountain Grooming, grooming. So back to. Uh, so let's get back to the. Uh, <laughs> let's get back to uh, the favorite secondary. Perf- I have written it as favorite secondary performance by an epic English actor. We talked about uh, Richard Madden. I. I mean, I thought all these guys. And what you're talking about, John, you mentioned the, the lovely gentleman from Fleabag, Andrew Scott. Yeah. He plays the hot priest. That's yeah. Before they go over the wall. He is. His is awesome. Like, yeah. He was, he was so. Really fun. Everyone was yeah. laughing yeah. at his. He's just like he's good. He's, he's a good like, actor. Well, me and Lind- Lindy uh, randomly put on Fleabag one night. What's Fleabag? That's the it won a <gasps> bunch of awards at the Golden Globes this year. It is an incredible show by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She Amazon. is absolutely Amazon show, fa- fantastic. Um, he's got a login for me. Anyway, he plays a he's, he's got <laughs> okay. like a big part in that show. Um, we'll and the, I didn't even recognize him in the in 1917 at first, just because he was so like believable in the part that he had. That's all, yeah, he was great. Honestly, um, th- like again, going back to that scene with the with the with the lady in the church, I thought she was really good too. Claire de Burke, she was, she is fantastic. Sorry, I don't know her name, Claire de Burke. No, it's okay. I have to. I, there's a certain as host, I have to have a certain amount of preparation, but you can bring the hijinks. Okay, cool. That's cool. <laughs> um, that back him, that guy, that character, the way he brought it too. I just feel like that that's something that's missing from a lot of war movies because when you're like on a crew of any sort of working crew, even our film crews, there is always that guy that kind of like there is that that big male like the things are clearly absolutely fucked around him and yet he's still just acting like a total hotshot like hilarious yeah 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 right and that's real like that's real you know I know like a thousand dudes like that and they're never in war movies it's always so somber or 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 a buffoon. If, yeah, if they're not you know, we're somber, on, they're a buffoon, and then it's like there's we're on set and the craft truck is in a ditch, and it's like some guys like, well, just another day. If you don't like it, right? Fuck like, off. and not everybody's gonna <laughs> be sitting there like, like crying yeah. about it. Dude. Yeah, I I love. I mean, my favorite was Benedict Cumberbatch at yeah. the end because yeah, I was I was great. originally because they were they were kind of ratcheting up that he was gonna that he was going to argue yeah. with uh, like yeah, make said, sure there's a witness. Exactly. I think that was one of the best sure lines witnesses. in the yeah. in the film too. That was really powerful because you. Because I thought that was like a Chekhov's gun, like it was going to be. And, and it was, and, it was. And, and they went back to it because he's like, "Get out of my, get out yeah, of my." Yeah, I thought. Zone. I guess I thought that they'd be like pulling him away and being like, "No, I was like, no." But well, they, I mean, actually, you know what? He kind of, he kind of, yeah. he kind of did. They did it enough so it wasn't ridiculous and didn't make me have a heart attack at the end of that emotionally draining situation. But especially when he's like at the end, he's like, "All right, go have some, go have something to eat. Fuck get, off, get cleaned up. Yeah, fuck off, uh, fuck off." Yeah. I'm like, yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean, he's good in anything. As soon as I saw Colin Firth, you know what I mean? It's a big... Mark they, Strong is in it, too. For, for having the small actors, there's also kind of some pretty big... That's what I, that's like, what I liked like about Like, really, it. really... Because they, And they're all, they all happen at key moments in the story, too. I they all pop Strong. up at, like, So you can't really moment. say there's no stars in it, because they're not really no. just cameos. Where's the stars in this shit? Plot-wise, they're so significant. Yeah. They're well, almost like, like checkpoints. It's Co- like Colin you make Firth. your way through the snakes and ladders yeah. to a star. Colin Firth starts the mission. 
right? And um, he's the perfect the to do that. So dignified. from Fleabag sends them good? over the wall. Yeah. And Mark Strong gives him a lift to where he's got to go after Tomlin dies. <laughs> a kind of, a kind of, it kind of reminded me of like a Medal of Honor video game where you like get to another level and the special guest voice actor is there, and it's like, oh, wow. here's Gary Busey. Here's Gary Busey, but it was, but obviously with the significantly more talented actors. Um, That's I, actually pretty spot on. Yeah, but see, like you mentioned, Mark Strong. I loved Mark Strong. I love that whole scene with those guys. Because you're like, are these guys going to start giving this guy a hard time and all this kind of stuff? And then, like, they almost, like, rally around him when they find out what he's supposed to do. And then you get that sense of there are moments where everyone's like, fuck off, and they're worrying about themselves. But then there's also these moments of this Britishness together, you know, we're in another place and trying. And I thought that he really ushers that in. You know, And think of how much, like, time other all previous war movies we've seen spend developing and nurturing that within their story and then this one just it was just there like they didn't have to like i don't know i don't know i, I, in, I can't in, even in, really understand a, how they did that so in a fast. relatively short scene as well like in within a short scene not even like a whole like yeah we've been walking together you know for getting a car out of a ditch like 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 you said like yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy and, but, but it was yeah. completely natural and completely believable yeah and it works in the war setup too, because like you're always going from place to place, division to division. There's all these intricate moving parts, and you kind of see, even in that, that's kind of what I liked about it, because it doesn't like because we talked about how it narrows the focus, of the shooting situation, but it also like they were able through character to show the size and scope of the war, mm-hmm. you know. And I thought that yeah, I thought you know Mark Strong was great. Um, again, going back to Claire de Burke who played Laurie, who was the woman with the baby. Uh, I thought that was really a really good breath scene. Exactly. Yeah. Like, good and I breather. thought they were really good with like putting the breaths in, where it's not ri- like where it's not ridiculous and boring, because you have to again with that shooting style, you have to watch or how like how can you do you know be careful doing that. But she was fantastic. It was very understated, and this idea of the baby not belonging to her, but she's just taking it. Again, cool. this idea of like shared. Uh, experience and it was also in a movie that's moving and has like these checkpoints it, there's like a little mini story there and that is so telling like, we actually know in that in that scene with that that little amount of time spent with the characters we know that it's not her baby and then you're you're thinking about how she came about it exactly and, like, that exactly. whole thing and everything and, and she right? doesn't even know the name and right the, she's the like what's the name the... and she's like She's just like, I started taking care so of this So it's not baby. even like, oh, I'm the aunt or something. It's also, like, you have no idea. Yeah. She just like found this baby. Yeah. The, the communication between the two of them is also done really well because it's almost like the, the understanding is one way. Like she can understand, understand a little bit yeah, of English, yeah. but he can't understand any French. And that would have like been a really could, hard I feel like thing. he could understand a, bit, a little bit of French. A bit, but like the way Broken they words, treated but that. But she more understood the English. Yeah. But I think they conveyed that very. No, it was, and it that, was and well that done. that would be a hard. That's a hard thing to do. Right. And that's pretty realistic, I think. Even I'm imagining even in 1917 where like you can go to some country and just speak English and assume that somebody's going to get a word or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I yeah. want to move on from that, guys. And before we get into where we think this is in the pantheon of war movies, what didn't we like about this movie? The milk. Vinny's hate was it, I got milk. a question. Okay, so was no, it no, 2%? No, no. So hold on. I loved the milk. No, it was whole milk. <laughs> It was whole milk, non homogenized. It was in unpasteurized. It was in a pail. It was fresh and warm. I love the milk. Do they got a government stamp for that? (laughs) 
excellent. Absolutely not. It's good. So, so here, hold on, hold on. Milk? No, yeah. If you, oh, guys, we're in Canada. Vitamin we can, R. Now with guys, vitamin R. Guys, guys Milk Council's going to show. We're talking about raw milk. We're going to get shut down in like two seconds. Oh, They're a powerful man. lobby in Canada. I don't know about the states. All but, right. Uh, They're like worse than Scientologists. Yeah. All right. <laughs> edit this part out. Okay. Edit part out. Um, we love seriously, milk. Seriously, I loved actually about the milk. I loved that scene <laughs> when they found it and whatever. It was such a cool breath, like you guys said, and so I didn't think it needed to be brought back. That was that just kind of bothered me, and it took me out of a movie. That that's I was so funny. Yeah, I, to me, it it's like it did not even. I'm just like, oh, that's nice milk. He has milk. In my head, milk. I'm like, he's got that fucking milk. <laughs> I'm like, does she have any milk? She but I also thought milk. I'm like, I'm like, he's got that shit in his cantina. I was like, how bacteria filled is that milk though? Like that ca- that canteen's not clean. Yeah, this guy probably had fucking that's whiskey actually, in it before. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like he's putting like milk from like a bucket, and then it's been like sloshing around all day. Listen, it's yeah. either that or no milk. Listen, I mean, okay, you're right. Okay, G- well, give, give the baby you, the milk. Do you want botulism? I was or just milk? about to say uh, what the baby has now is botulism. Guys, you yeah, give just the saying the it's either that or no milk. Okay. They say also, fresh milk is like got a ton like that shit is <laughs> yeah it's been sitting cure, there in a french bucket for anything right like there's all right all big sorts milk. Of <laughs> this guy's fucking the the milk lobby over here they yeah. got you bro yeah calm down this guy's got unpasteurized stilton in the what back do you of his know car about milk I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> your milk okay. stash is showing and then, okay let's move on to <laughs> yeah all right. So, all right. Yo, so for sure, this guy had one of those Doug Gilmore posters on his wall where he <laughs> had the, the fucking where he had the fucking milk legs. Uh, <laughs> dude, didn't even dudes didn't even like hockey got that shit. Yeah. Oh my God. So, oh is there anything else we didn't like? Like, okay. I'm I'm hard pressed to find something. I literally one. can't I'm, think of I'm, a thing. I'm I can't obviously think of, you're, nitpicking. You're, yeah, I was gonna say I'm if you're only nitpicking. That's the, nitpicking is acceptable. Another thing, I the the epic moments like when he's going over the waterfall some of the parts that were like a little unbelievable like big action moments i think i just wish they were scaled back 10 15% just because okay, the spectacle is already so intense this is already so unbelievable but totally believable and there was mm-hmm. such realism in this film that i didn't think you needed to um Go yeah, they they could have took a little off the top. No, that whole like white parts. water part where he's going down the rapids. I was like, okay, like I get it. it that or, was a little bit okay. Long. That That's, I didn't need. Or, I'm like, are we going to a water part? Yeah, when yeah. he got knocked back and knocked out, like I, I was okay with it, but it was it was a bit long. If we're really gonna nitpick and split hairs, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that sequence was a bit long. Why did he get? I but I, but see that it was fun too. It's just just I'm talking like specific action points within that scene. It's just like make the waterfall a little bit smaller or like. When he well, gets, I mean, he was crossing he the river or whatever over like the the broken bridge, and he's like getting shot at and shit. He shouldn't have been out for four hours when he got knocked back. Because I'm gonna tell you, if you get knocked out in a concussion for four hours, you aren't making like cognizant. You're not like making good decisions. He's in a wheelchair and afterwards. You're like in the nap. hospital he for just three needed months. A, he just yeah. needed a quick three four hour nap, man. <laughs> right? So like, <laughs> why could done it? So why could he just been dazed there? Anyway, again, this is nitpicking, but I think that if you had, there's a couple parts that are unbelievable in in real life where everything else was so believable that it kind of just jumped out on me. I'm, also, I'm sure if I, I, think, I think he could have taken that guy out in the room a little easier yeah. than that. Yeah. That guy shouldn't have got a shot off. No, he he had a sniper too. Like did did he pull out like a handgun or something? 
I don't know. I, I don't felt know. like he shot him with the rifle. I would, yeah, with the rifle. I know. I, I honestly, I, I feel like probably if I if I watched it a few more times, yeah. I could probably pick out some stuff I didn't like. But I was just I was just so engrossed in it and yeah. so along for the ride that I was just like, yeah, hit me with it. You know what I mean? I'm not like nitpicking every little thing as I'm watching it. I'm just so engrossed by the film. I'm with Lance on this one. I definitely want to see it. Well, I want to see it on an, on a bigger screen. I got to see it with, on a bigger with screen. better sound. But I All right, definitely. Yo, let's, see that's it. what I'm saying. Let's go IMAX. Let's yeah, go. let's, let's go. not. Let's, let's also not forget <laughs> our pre-movie libations. Yes, this time we won't forget. I we were literally also, like sitting down, to, about to get our like getting our jackets off, getting. Our, all right, are we gonna get pop? Who's getting pop? Then also like, like, wait, wait a second, second. am I oh, bae? This is when no? you two went to see it. Yeah, they right. were like this to each other. It, I saw it sober <laughs> as well. It, the chances of three of <laughs> we us forgot to smoke weed. We're so I excited to watch sober it. As well. Yeah. yeah. When Boyne just asked when the last time that actually like happened I was, was. T- when I was 12? I don't know, yeah. like <laughs> 1989, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? I mean, <laughs> yeah, like The Little Mermaid? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, guys, just move on to, I want to move on to the final point here, which I, I, I was, I alluded to. Where does this rank for you guys with war movies? War movies. Like, for me, I look at it especially from its British counterparts and immediately because the last great war movie I saw, I think all of us saw Dunkirk. was Dunkirk. Yep, for sure. And as I was saying before, like I thought both movies do a really good job of ratcheting, ratcheting up tension in different ways, completely different ways, but both effective, but both super effective. And also there is something super English about both of these things. Not just like the fact that like the entire cast of love actually is in it. It's not love actually, but just as an example, you know what I mean? Love uh, actually is a solid flick. Seven out of We're ten. We're not going back. Seven out of ten. It's a it's a it's a okay, solid seven, seven out of ten. If you please, please reach out to us out to us on social media if you disagree with that. That's the best Deacons movie though. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so like for me, it's immediately put against, and then it's put against Dunkirk, and they're both two inherently. Obviously, Dunkirk is something that's mythical in English, you know, in English history now, but also the you know this idea of the shared experience in the First World War, and you know, wanting to and wanting to do your thing for country and wanting to save other soldiers. And, you know, I think it comes at that Englishness and doing it, you know, in different ways. Um, so what do you guys think about that? It's that's such a hard sort of list to kind of think about. But what I like about it is as far as like, um, I guess, the way that it's told in terms of the, the one shot, it's kind of happening in real time. I mean, I don't know if I've seen another war movie do it, like I was saying before, do it quite like that. So in that respect, it's like, I don't know if you can really say it's the best or it's or it's close to the the best because there's so many other ones that that, that you can think of that could be on that list. Especially since the quality, especially since the like if you look at older war movies. There's a lot of kitsch to them, but I found, especially yeah. in the last 20 years, of war movies that are coming out. We're in like a know. renaissance of, exactly. of war yeah. movies. That's yeah. what I'm yeah. thinking. And it, it was like ushered in 100%. by by Saving 100%. Private Ryan, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it definitely yeah. changed the way you lo- you yeah. looked at that. But, yeah. but then and there's also war movies like is Schindler's List a war movie? Because yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Are we talking pure movie? Because then yeah. I go in Glorious Bastards. Is that a war movie? I don't know if it is. It's pretty yeah. high. It's Pat- in my top you know, five. What about movies like, like Patton? I think we talked Patton's about this before. Movie. Patton's a war movie, and that's a great. I mean, obviously, the best of these movies all have like a larger thematic element. Yeah, but I think if we're yeah. talking about like pure combat, like war movies, strictly war movies, Saving right. Private like, Ryan is the benchmark. Or we're we're in the war. This is this is like I don't know. Like it's really good. I think it's, it's right it's, away got to be up there. I I'd, I'd give it I to this to this more. or Dunkirk are probably. 
probably the two off the top of my head. And also, I if you want to go older, for me personally, um, I love Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Full Metal Jacket is probably yeah. um, my, my favorite, at, at least of like the, the, the Vietnam. For me, it's kind like Apocalypse Now, Metal Jacket. Apocalypse Now is good and it's like visually amazing, but like, man, it's a slog to get through. Slog. It's I, a I agree slog. with that. I it also like think that there is no money. other movie that encapsulates the horror and like what war is on the human psyche. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not saying it's a bad I'm also, movie. But with I'm that just... said, though, I'm also like up my ass for that kind of thing. Like that's what <laughs> yeah. I like. Okay. That's why I'm like spoon. I'm like take that shit, put it on a spoon, shove it in my face. You guys free base it. it. Especially, I love that. <laughs> especially you guys' choices on those ones, though. It kind of makes sense. We're all like film nerds so the war movies seem to be trending if dunkirk and 1917 are example like you're moving away from saving private ryan valor like all the big big themes everything like that and moving into these more like their films they're like stories like really really heavy on the story and less about the whole big picture and grandeur on it and then that would be uh, full metal as well, right? Like it's a it's a movie nerds movie. Yeah. Like I would yeah. probably like I would probably it's a film critics movie. I would probably put this above Saving Private Ryan. Personally. I would too. Oh, I absolutely. So. Saving Private Ryan so. is good. It's Don't like get me well, wrong. The first twenty minutes are what everybody always talks about exactly. when we're talking about Saving Private Ryan. It's a long movie, and I don't want to talk and, and that, bad that about because I love and that. Movie. And that last scene too, like the taking of the bridge, is fucking fantastic. Yeah, yeah. there's like yeah, it's intense. it's um. I mean, it's Spielberg. You know, what are you gonna do? It's better than War Horse. <laughs> it's better than anything. Better than we were soldiers. Okay, can I can Terrible. I get a quick can I get a quick but shout out for Enemy shocking, at the Gates though? Shocking stuff. Ooh, Enemy yeah. at the Gates. Yeah. Enemy at the Gates not, is solid. Not one of the greatest war movies of all time. No, 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 one no, 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 no. Amazing. That's what I'm saying. One quick, of my like a quick like Enemy at the Gates. Yeah. But I, I will do on, scenes. I'll do scenes from it. It's true. Ooh, Jar- yeah. Jarhead. Oh, Jarhead. Yeah. Jarhead. Guys, yeah. shout out to the Boyan on technical. Yeah. Uh, Jarhead is one of the few movies. Only Jarhead and Whiplash are the only two movies in my entire life that I watched at home. And as soon as it was done, I was just like, yeah, let's watch it again. And like, I just, I, as soon as I finished Jarhead, I was like, it I was, gotta watch it, it again. It was really good. Like good. in order, like you sat. Yeah, back to back. Same, same with Whiplash. The only two movies I've ever done that, like on a first viewing. That's and I intense. love that Jarhead. It gets into that first half of like Full Metal Jacket type, where it's exploring the idea of just, just being, like being bored, being in the culture of the military rather than yeah. in the conflict. Yeah, right? yeah. I also That's don't a, think like, how many World War One movies. Well, there didn't. How, uh, have you seen off the top of your head? I was actually just Paul Gross thinking did that. one. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I went. I went to the. I, uh, I went to the TIFF premiere oh, no. of Passchendaele, and listen, and? I, I will ride for a Canadian filmmaker because I want, and I wanted it to do well. Terrible. It's not good. I didn't. It was not good. Terrible. A war movie is a hard. Hey, listen, it's that's hard. A, that's it's more hard. bigger. That's not a slight to somebody who tried and and it didn't work. You got to finance. So well. That's a incredible. A movie is yeah. hard to make in the first place. Props. A story is hard to make. All of this is like not guaranteed. You can have the, all the best people in the world and make a total steaming pile of shit. And yep. and then a war movie is a whole <laughs> other level of that. It's budget sucking. One just take just to. Be Extras is just fucking. It it's a everything. It's difficult. Cash. It yeah. hoovers cash. So yeah. So I think it's more big ups to Sam Mendes for making this yeah. wonderful flick. Yeah. Good good call. I completely forget when we were talking about um, Mendes movies. I completely forgot about Jarhead. That's a good call, Boyan. Yeah, Jarhead. Okay, guys, uh, we got to wrap it up. Thank you very much. Uh, and if you haven't seen this film, 
get out there and do it it's incredible um and then listen to this podcast again yeah. all right thank you very much guys Okay, guys, as mentioned at the uh, beginning of the podcast, uh, on Friday we lost uh, a legend, a music legend, a Canadian legend, probably one of the greatest drummers of all time, probably the greatest drummer of all time, Neil Peart. Uh, guys, let's talk about what th his music and his skill meant to us. Well, uh, Rush is my favorite band. The, my uncle introduced me to them when I was probably like 11 or 12, I think. And yeah, I don't know. I just immediately took to their music. But I was also into drumming before that because my uncle was a drummer so that's where he kind of got it from and so when we started listening that was pretty much all i was listening to from that point forward for a, for a long time was and how what does that rush. what does that mean to you and you know you uh, just so we know just so we can tell you guys andrew van eek and uh johnny both drummers like as drummers what is it what did his music mean to you just in terms See, of yeah i'm not uh, as big of for uh as huge of a rush fan but I do respect like their one of their hugest contributions to music is like bringing technical proficiency into pop music, because a lot of the times like there are better studio drummers. There are scores of them, actually, than Neil Peart in terms of just the technical. There are no better drummers that bring that skill into a pop song without making it a drum solo. And like he has the drum solos, but he also just so where other drummers would be forced to just go to a very, very simple uh, three drum, just boom, -tsh, boom, -tsh, you know, four, four beat. He finds a way to bring all sorts of syncopated rhythms into that without sounding like, hey, look at me. That's what Neil Peart did. And that's like the, that's crazy. Like Danny Carey's like the only other person. And then even. Tool, tool drummer Danny Carey, but it's a tool drummer Danny Carey. But even that, those, it's a a way bigger. The way they're already um, doing weird stuff, you know what I mean? It it fits in, so it's an easier place to experiment. Which Neil Peart did that in these their their rock and roll songs. Yeah, I yeah. was just listening to before he died. I was listening to uh, a farewell to Kings, and you know what? Honestly, that record is so bloody magical. And it, on the on the you know title track, farewell to Kings. You know, we talk about the majesty, the kit, the massive kit, but there's parts where he's just, you know, floor tom, snare, hat, and incredible. Yeah. Like, it just even on those, like, without all the bells and whistles, right? It, like, you see the hardcore skill that he has and the production value that he adds to it. It's like every song is Star Wars because he just adds this majesty to it building out you know from the snare the, the the floor tom and it's just it's it works incredible i mean like for me like my favorite standout thing i mean i love xanadu obviously xanadu and uh sign we're gonna need a headphone warning on that we're one. gonna need a headphone <laughs> yo boy and can you do me a favor and make sure that's mixed properly <laughs> i like my vocals i like my vocals just scoop DQ and um, make it spicy <laughs> and Cygnus X, you know, Cygnus X one again, another like tour de force. I, I listen, you know, I've been listening to that. I, I used to steal my family's records, like that's what we do in the boat and its family. We jack each other's stuff, anyways. I stole my uncle's copy of Farewell to Kings, I, as of yet, have not given it back. That was 25 years ago. Um, it's just incredible, and then seeing them live and seeing what they can do, I just you know. It's, yeah. it's it's unfortunate that I, this happened. I think when uh, when I was a kid and I was listening to it, it was just, you know, trying to, you know, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to play like this. But this is, you know, this is the greatest drumming ever. But then as you get older and you start, you know, the, the songwriting also is another thing. He wrote all the lyrics, minus their very first album. Um, 
but I think just in general, as you get older, you just appreciate the the skill that it takes to put together a song, to write the lyrics, and then also to you know bring the drumming to the forefront of the of the band without it seeming like it's at the forefront of the band. Yep, because totally. the other two musicians in the band, Getty Lee is one of the greatest bassists of all time and licensed probably the most underrated guitarist. That's the only way I, th I think a truly good drummer can survive yeah. is in like, for example, John Bonham and Led Zeppelin. He's surrounded by yeah. Ginger Baker and Cream, surrounded by right. yeah. musicians at a really high level. But, but also what's so amazing about like if if Neil wasn't part of the band at all, it would still be an incredible band because of the other two. I mean, but even the first record is, is incredible. incredible Working yeah. Man is one of my favorite Rush songs, yeah. right? But then by adding him, they just it took them to the next level. It it right. It like that was that that was what it made, put them it over took the them top and, and made them something special. And they're part of it. They are they are the biggest three piece. Yes. Ever. Yeah. Like I don't know if you could find it. Like how is there so much sound there? from just these three musicians and the obviously the drummer can't just be relegated to keeping time if no. that's the sound that you're going for he's got it he's got he's got chimes he's got everything i, like, I don't it's just yeah. how they fill i don't think there's the a power trio like the closest i can think of, of a power trio that can do that is uh again cream like 182 okay. yeah blink 180 <laughs> enema of the state uh, but that's a lot of production too right these guys make that sound it's pretty much the closest right? the Wait, closest I'll to having that level of bombast is cream i mean they were direct influences i mean like if you listen to especially getty lee uh talks with jack bruce again neil per talked about uh, uh ginger baker who we also lost recently um but i think that's spot on like when it works a power trio that's doing that i mean let's talk about favorite what's your what is your memorable rush track for the, the drumming track for neil pert let's finish off with that What's okay? What's what's that one song? It's there's there's no lyrics in it. Why was it? Yeah 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why was it? That's that's sorry. I'm I'm a casual Rush fan. No no. That's, that's that is that is my favorite Rush drum. Yes. Hey, for the record of this podcast, you do not like have to like Rush because a lot of people cannot stand like like I do. A lot of, I do. But yeah, I there's just, a lot of people like me that like respect the hell out of them. I but are not throwing the records yeah. on all the time. Also, I, I had one question just about you guys were talking before. I just wanted to throw this in. Um, when they play live, is it just them three? Do they have any no. accompanying? No. no. I've never. I've, I've, seen, seen, them, I've no. seen them four times. And they never had a and session. And they no. never just like a guy on the I side I saw them twice and they never had a session. Either. Okay, it's, cool. It's, That's it, really it, interesting. It, I, they're, just, they're, I know a lot of trios do have like the extra guitarists on the Cause side. Because you know what? It's it's tough. And I think like what Rush was able to do is they were able to modify their sound for a three-piece. And you have to give that thought. Like, for example, other three-pieces that are famous. Nirvana always brought in Pat Smear. You know what I mean? Like, like so it's, it's hard to fill that sound. I think they did a really good job of just like organizing it, filling it understanding what effects they needed, allowing the, and because of the skill of, especially, you know, of Neil, of Neil Peart, you can add elements without, uh, you know, like. Without expanding. He, he can, yeah, he can, you know, do little things. You know what yeah. I mean? And I, you know, it's funny about Getty Lee's uh, voice, because I, when I was younger, I hated it. And then, but then, you know what it is? I heard, Zana do and it, uh, and then I'm like, okay, this, okay, that's a good application. Like, this is good. Again, my fa uh, Cygnus X one for me is yeah. just like he and yeah. seeing them play live. It's it's so hard to pick one man. Just yeah. Because I like especially I've seen, you. I thought you were going to be. I was like, is this guy okay? I, yeah, I, I uh, <laughs> like I've seen them live. We were doing wellness checks times. on John. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I, like I've seen them four times live, and I, I started the first concert I ever went to was their Snakes and Arrows tour, which was their second last album that they did, um, which was like I don't know 2000 and. 
12. Or, yeah. It was a solid album. I, I remember. Uh, well, Clockwork it Angels. Was, it was good, the Clockwork Angels was their last one, and that to me I thought was it's one of their best albums. I think just as a complete album and kind of their their body of work kind of summed up in in that in that album. But what I like about them is they've gotten older. Specifically, the drumming is at least from a live perspective. If you listen to some of their live albums before, a lot of the things that a lot of people don't like about them in terms of their their eras or like their electronic era in the eighties. A lot of people have a difficult time with some of the some of the sounds that a they've had a lot of cocaine right but just the electronics synths. Right? like, like it's, they, synths. it's it's synth. like how are you using how so are you using synths what yeah. they've done is now because they've i wonder if rush ever did any coke i don't know Mostly weed, probably. Yeah, they don't. They don't strike me as the type. They're like super nerds. They're real nerdy. I don't know. I have no idea. Kimono on. That was that's not nine out of ten non-Japanese people who have kimonos. I could see Getty Lee being straight edge, and I wouldn't surprise me one bit. But anyway, as far as honestly, I don't know. As far as I have no idea. As far as their as far as their sound goes, they've now because they've gone more acoustic in their in their latter years, they've gone back to that original kind of sound that they've had. It just sounds heavier because they've done more of a live uh, kind of feel to their to their albums and their studio albums now. So their 80s stuff it now sounds more acoustic when they play it live, and that stuff is like is they, they, they contemporize better. it. They make it to work. me. It sounds yeah. way better just because it's it's got that sound to it. Um, but uh, I don't know favorite uh, track. The first time I heard Tom Sawyer, uh, that's. You know that's an incredible Ma- drum. Just, massive, just just a drumming massive, track on yeah. its own for for the drums is one of his best, and he always says it's always hard to play every time he plays it. La Villa Strangiato though is is the one track for for the drums. It's that pretty epic. every rock drummer, if they can play that track, then they're probably going to be okay. Correct. They're, that's correct. Hemispheres. Yeah. They're probably going to be okay if they can play La Villa Strangiato on the drums. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If they can get through that nine minute song. On the drums, they're going to be okay. I remember when I was the the I, I was at your house one time, and then all of a sudden you start busting out your your skills on a drum kit, and I had no idea, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, John's John, a John, drummer. Yeah, John Neal's secret talent. Yeah, he's I, a I fucking amazing drummer. I haven't played for a while too. Like it's been I a like little while. Play. The last time I actually really played, this guy had an electric drum kit at the house that we. All I'm used sure to you live s- at. you still ripped. Film House 2.0. I'm sure you rip no. I, I can. And yeah. one thing about John is, I have to say, you know, finishing up here that um, we also need fo- Vanique's favorite song. Oh yeah, give oh, us yeah. your favorite song. Your favorite song. Oh. I got you, dog. I'd probably uh, for the drums. I'm thinking what with agreeing with John on the Tom Sawyer, just because it's wild. Um, <laughs> I got nothing. It's wild. It's wild. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> I was thinking about. I was going to go into a whole other thing, but it's yeah. not even. Anyways, uh, to wrap up, you know, John is always. You know, it's funny. John has always listed. Uh, it was funny when we just when we realized that he could drum. I'm like, those hands can move that quickly. And uh, actually, w- and this is side note. I was even more amazed when I saw that Kyle could play the guitar because yeah. I've known a lot, a lot, a ton. Well, that's of what happens when you have flippers for hands. <laughs> music nerds, and this guy all of a sudden just starts like ripping the master of puppets. So he's like trying to figure it out, and I just see it, his hands go like that. It's I didn't. I see. I st- I didn't know that. And here's what I. It doesn't. You won't believe. You're like your eyes and your. It just won't. I used to carry my guitar around and everywhere with me so for what, years. So what happened? I started writing and doing a mind refinery podcast. <laughs> um, but one thing, and listen, this is and <laughs> talking you know, to chuckleheads about and, Rush. And in finally finishing this, 
but the talk, but this is kind of what I'm talking about here. What's good about someone, why you know a guy like Neil Peart is a legend, is because he just started this conversation. And it goes everywhere. And the best musicians, they make you talk about music and analyze music and talk about your good times with music. So I think there's no better way to kind of encapsulate what Neil Peart meant to people. Uh, he's in a, you know, a Canadian legend and he's a, a music legend and uh, the greatest drummer who ever lived. And I think I speak for a lot of people when I say he will be sorely missed. So pour one out for your homie. Yeah. R.I.P. Neil Peart. Thank you, Neil Peart.